at the end of the day, if you zoom out far enough, we're a speck. All of us, a speck on this earth. So when all is said and done, you decide how you spend your time and how you spend your life. And, the, and I think the most important thing is that you're engaged and excited and enjoying the people that you're, you're spending that time with. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This is Jessica, head of coaching strategy at Crisp, and today we're flipping the script for a special edition episode to get Michael's take on what distinguishes good leaders from great ones, how bigger goals can be easier to achieve than small ones, and why catering to everyone means resonating with no one. It is your values and principles that attract your clients. I would argue that if you try to market in a way that is for everyone, then you're not going to resonate strongly with anyone and you're actually going to really struggle to differentiate and stand out. And if you want to attract the best, I think the best are attracted to those that have an opinion and a position. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. All right, welcome to another AMMA. So we do three types of episodes here on this podcast. So there's the interview style episodes that we do. We bring in thought leaders from the legal industry and beyond. We do those every single week. Then there's the encore edition. So we bring back episodes, some of our most popular episodes that we've had, and those are featured as well. And then there's the AMMA Ask Michael Mogul Anything. So you all submit questions, usually through text. So if you send me a text at 404-531-7691 or you email us on the podcast, we'll answer your questions here on the show. And originally we were only going to do one of these. And now, because we're getting a bunch of great questions and honestly, a lot of great feedback, people say they enjoy these, we decided to do more. So I'm excited because opposite me right now is really the brains behind this whole crisp operation. My wife, Jessica Mogul, who's been on the podcast. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Didn't realize I would make another appearance, but here we are. Oh, yes. We brought you back by popular demand. I know you've got the questions this time, so ask away. We'll get through as many as we can. Awesome. Awesome. We have had a slew of questions, so we're going to work through three this week and we'll keep working through them. So first one here, how do you ensure that your company's values and principles align with those of your clients? And what steps do you take to address any potential conflicts? It's an interesting question because it's this idea that you have to somehow, and I don't know if this is inferred, but alter your values or principles to align with your clients. Whereas I think it's actually quite the opposite. So meaning that I actually think it is your values and principles that attract your clients. So an example could be if someone were to say, I want to find love and I want to find this great woman out there and why can't I find love? And really, instead, the question should be, how do I attract that and how can I be the type of human being that would attract the type of person that I'm looking for? So, for example, when we look at our organization in terms of our values, which I also consider mindsets in a way, because values are in many ways like how the work gets done. But when we look at what are our values and principles and standards, of course, we're very growth minded. We look for others who are also growth minded and entrepreneurial, who are also results driven, who are committed to making their futures greater than their past. So all of those things. And we are not for everyone. And, and this is what I would encourage anybody who's listening to this, that 
you do not have to build the type of law firm that is for everyone. In fact, I would argue that if you try to market in a way that is for everyone, then you're not going to resonate strongly with anyone and you're actually going to really struggle to differentiate and stand out. Whereas instead, we make it very clear, like, look, we're not the company that gives you warm hugs and we ask you to hug it out. I mean, we're here to be, you know, SEAL Team 6 and we want people to succeed at the highest level and it's tough love. And I think that absolutely turns away a lot of people, but I also think it attracts the very clients that we have and it, it, it attracts them and engages them for that very reason. So I would instead say, instead of trying to alter your values and principles, really hone in on them, own them, like really own who you are, make it very clear. This is what we're about. These are our values. These are our standards. And you may find that you actually are attracting more clients because then they're saying, oh, wow, look, somebody stands for something. Somebody has an opinion versus just drifting through the wind and being vanilla. So I would really think about it from the standpoint of how can you make sure that you are articulating your own values very clearly and then you're standing by them because basically what your values are, are what you're going to attract. And be careful to not dilute that. Absolutely. I was thinking the entire time, we are not for everyone. And I think especially as you grow, you get more of that luxury. Obviously, in the beginning, you take anything and everything, but really honing in on who you are at the end. Yeah. I'll elaborate on this as well. I mean, just even as an example, I shared this at the last summit. Years ago, we had a client who came to us and signed on and, and we said, look, these are our values. This is how we work together. We're, we're going to be collaborative. If you ever have a question, just ask. We are, we're going to be responsive, but we ask that you are responsive as well. And they're like, good, good, good. Check, check, check. And then in the days that followed, they essentially broke all those rules. And then they were disrespectful to team members. And then they were using all sorts of, you know, in this day and age, I don't even understand it. Like they said, oh, you know, they didn't want to work with like a email client success manager or something like that. But that meant, hey, this doesn't align with our values. We're not in alignment. We're just not a good fit. Boom. That's it. We gracefully exited that relationship. So I would just say that, yes, that is a luxury and sticking to that very early on is a luxury. If it means that, hey, you know, if you're going to have to part ways with someone, but that means that now you can't make payroll or now you can't take care of your team or whatever it is, there's a gray area there. But the goal is that you can attract the client that you want by being very clear on what your values are and laying out that code early on. In that case, especially, it shows our team how committed we are to our values as well, which I think is just as important. 100%. The very team members that you're going to attract, the same thing. Team members, clients, anyone you want to attract is going to be very much dependent upon the values that you exude. And this is why I think a lot of organizations struggle in hiring because they're like, why can't we attract the best trial lawyers, the best legal staff? And they, you know, think, well, why would they want to work at your practice, right? I mean, you don't differentiate or stand out in any way. They don't really know, well, what makes your culture unique? What are your values? Because they don't really see them articulated. They just see, hey, we'll fight hard for you. Great. But they see that at every other law firm. So in many ways, you don't stand for anything. And if you want to attract the best, I think the best are attracted to those that have an opinion and a position. And sometimes if you can't be the best, well, then at least be different. Love it. Awesome. All right. Next question. I have set several goals for myself, but I often find that I struggle to achieve them. What common mistakes do you see people making when setting their goals and how can I avoid them? Also, how can I cultivate a growth mindset to better reach my goals? Goals are interesting things because I like to believe we all have them. And ironically, I'm wearing a shirt right now that has ambition with a line through it and then commitment right below it. So this may inform the answer somewhat, but I always think about goals like New Year's resolutions to an extent. A lot of people, let's say, set a New Year's resolution at the end of December on New Year's Eve. Then the New Year starts, you know, let's say they want to get in shape. They're in the gym. It's the start of January. The gym is packed, absolutely packed, because it turns out you weren't the only one that had the resolution to get in shape or get healthy or get a six pack or, or whatever it is. But then as the weeks go by and the months go by, the gym becomes increasingly less busy. 
and you wonder what happened, right? Everybody set these goals and yet most have abandoned them. In fact, I think the Harvard study showed that only about like 3% of people actually complete the things that they set out to complete on average. I mean, it's so like 97% do not. And it's fascinating to me because, well, so you already have a leg up if you have goals. So especially if you have written goals and you've written something down, because that's step one, because if you don't have a goal, you can't really get anywhere that you haven't set out to get to. The other thing that let's say you have a goal, but then you really have no clarity over what that target is. So your goal might be, I want to grow my law firm, but there's no specifics there. And oftentimes, if you don't have a number associated with it, it's difficult, if not impossible to know whether you've achieved it or not. So for example, if you say, I want to grow my law firm, well, do you want to grow it by a hundred bucks or a hundred thousand or a million or 10 million? I mean, those are all very, very different. And what is growth really to you? I mean, that could be a very subjective thing. So you have to make it quantifiable and you can set things like smart goals or you can make it specific and measurable and relevant and timely. And what's the A? Attainable. Attainable. Yeah, I hate that one. That's the reason why I don't remember it because I'm like, what is attainable? It's just, it's just subjective, right? So like, don't be discouraged setting a goal that you know, maybe somebody else believes is not attainable, but who knows? My point is that you have to have a goal and then have specifics associated with this to make it quantifiable to know whether you've achieved it or not. And then I think the other reason why people don't achieve their goals, say they have the first two, well, maybe they just don't care. And those goals are not significant enough for them to care. So meaning that by achieving those goals, maybe it doesn't change their life in any meaningful way. So back to the example of growing your law firm, let's say you're running a law firm, you're at a million in revenue and, and you grow your law firm to 1.1 million, you grow by 100,000. And maybe that has absolutely no meaningful impact in your life whatsoever in the sense that it doesn't really let you do anything that you previously couldn't do before. Let's say you wanted to expand your marketing, expand your infrastructure, be able to hire additional people, open a new office. You wanted to buy a new home, pay down debt, but you couldn't do any of that, right? Because that difference or that delta was not significant enough. And you know that while you're going after that goal. So as a result, you really don't care and you're not as vested or committed to said goal. So this is a reason and a case for what we call transformational goals in that you set the type of goal that by achieving it would change your life and would create some sort of meaningful impact. So it allows you to do something you previously could not do before. And that could be different things to different people. Like the examples that I just gave, whether it allows you to hire somebody else to free up your time, whether it allows you to spend more time with your children, whether it allows you to pay down debt, expand to another location, acquire another practice, whatever it is, by achieving that, that would be a transformational impact on your life. So now it becomes a goal that you could be much more committed to. So you have to make those goals worth it to you. And it's very difficult to sell anybody else on anything that you yourself are not sold on. So when you get up every morning and you say you don't really give a shit about your goals, but they're good, right? It's like, okay, right? We're going to grow. We're growing every year, right? But not in any meaningful way. So because of that, that's why I think a lot of times people fail to achieve those targets because there's a lack of commitment. And then when they're actually breaking down, most people don't break down how they actually achieve those targets. So let's say the goal is to grow your law firm. Well, okay, so let's say you've defined a number, you've come up with a nice revenue number that you're happy with, for example, or even a profit number, for example. But then you think, okay, well, what's next, right? How do you break that down? Maybe you need to break that down by quarter. Maybe you need to break that down by month. What specifically has to happen in your organization? Maybe break it down by department. What are the key performance metrics that need to be hit for every single role or every single department within your firm every single quarter and every single month? And then by achieving it, the days add up to weeks, the weeks add up to months, the months add up to years. But that's how you do it. It's the same way. You see something that's insurmountable with the Navy SEAL expression. It's like, how do you eat an elephant? It's like one bite at a time. And you have to start somewhere. So the reality of it is, is that you have to get specific with a goal. You have to be able to break it down into something that's manageable chunks. And then ultimately, these are the types of goals that should excite you and that you yourself have to be sold on because you're going to have to sell a lot of other people on them as well. And anything of significance is going to require 
the support of other human beings and to be able to gain their support and gain their collaboration. I don't know many people who are excited about getting on board with something that's very insignificant goal. Like it needs to be meaningful. It needs to be meaningful, not just to you, but also to them and how it can impact them as well. So the bigger the goal, the easier it is. I'll put it that way. You know, sometimes people think by setting larger targets that, oh, what if I don't reach or what if I don't achieve it? But I actually think it's quite the opposite. You set a larger target, you're more excited. The people around you are more excited. It's more worthwhile to put in the, the necessary effort and commitment to achieve said goal. The people are much more vested as a result. I mean, that to me is much easier than some goal no one gives a shit about. That's so, true. I think another does. big aspect on setting goals is the public accountability. Because if you don't put that out there, you can hide from yourself, but you can't hide from everybody else. Oh, yeah. You can always tell if someone's not really committed to a goal if they don't want to tell anybody. There's a difference between saying, I want to run a marathon and signing up for a marathon because you're going to train differently. So for example, if you say, I want to run a marathon one day where well, it's like, well, you haven't given yourself any timeline, nothing to work backwards from. But if you sign up for one six months from now, boom, training starts today. Yep. And you can tell that the person who really doesn't want to put themselves out there, maybe kind of half-hearted about whether they actually want to achieve that or not. I force myself into it. I know the things like, I know I got to have public accountability. I know I got to tell people. I know I'm going to like make it specific. Even things that I know, oh man, this is going to be painful. I'm going to have some resistance to it. Boom. You got to jump right in. And the more people you share this with, the more public you share this with, then it's your reputation on the line. It's your character. It's your credibility, all those things. But if you know that's what you need to give you that extra push and you want to achieve the thing you're setting out to do, then you're going to do it because you're going to make success inevitable. Absolutely. All right. Our final question of this AMMA. Great leaders often have that special something that sets them apart from the rest. In your opinion, what's the distinguishing factor between a good leader and a truly great one? I think there's a lot of defining characteristics. So by the time this episode airs, there's going to be my conversation with Alex Ramosi. And I asked him kind of a similar question. And he said the big difference is humility, which I agree with. I think great leaders are humble, are open to learning, are open to new perspectives. 100% I agree with that. The other thing that comes to mind that I would say is really just what's two things. One is their perspective around growth and success. So meaning that I think a mediocre leader cares about themselves winning. I think a great leader cares about succeeding by helping others succeed. So meaning that if they can help their clients be successful, their team members be successful, their success comes as a byproduct of everybody else's success. I think those are like the best leaders. And the other one is time horizon in that there's going to be leaders that are focused solely on today. And as a result, they make short-term decisions. And as a result of those short-term decisions, they're not really thinking about second order, third order consequences. They're not thinking long-term. They're not making long-term investments in the future. Honestly, it's very selfish because they're focusing on how do I win today versus how do I win overall and then win tomorrow. Instead, I think great leaders have longer time horizons where let's say long-term patience in that they can think years down the line, they could put pieces in place today, they can make certain chess moves today, they can establish certain infrastructure foundation so that they're building up for the eventual success that they're going to have years down the line, which sometimes in the short term involves trade-offs and sacrifices and those types of things. But as a result, those are the ones that really build just incredible things, massive organizations, achieve massive success. But if you have the other types that are, well, they're just trying to win the week, those are the ones that are going to make short-term decisions and they wonder, 
why am I not thinking long term? Like you see, this is it's, it's interesting when, when you look at the practice of law, you can see two types of law firms that will do both variations of this, especially when it comes to their marketing. If you're a short term thinker, you're relying on short term drivers. So things like we bring you immediate leads, pay-per-click lead services, those types of things. And then the challenge with that is that, yes, you can pay for a click or a lead. And I'm not saying these are bad things. I'm just giving you an example of like a short term driver. But the challenge is, is that because this works on a bidding system and every law firm in America can do this, especially large law firms, that there's going to be some people that are willing to spend more money per click than others, which is going to drive up the cost per click on a, an individual keyword, which would drive up the cost per lead, which would drive up the cost per case. And many times those that have experienced buying leads or even the, any of these lead services or pay-per-click, these tend to result in low value cases. Low value cases come with low profit margins. And as a result of gaining low profit margins, it leaves little money to reinvest back into the business and back into the marketing. And you see this self-fulfilling prophecy in the cycle of eventually costs continue to go up and up and up for pay-per-click keywords and terms. The profit margins continue to go down, less money to reinvest back into the business in the long term. And then you're stuck. You never get to where you're going. Conversely, if you take the opposite approach and say, hey, we're going to invest in long-term brand drivers, and these can be anything. I mean, it could be things like writing a book, hosting a podcast, community efforts, just really just thinking about long-term about how do we build trust and confidence in our brand, supporting our clients, building raving advocates, all those things, dialing in things internally, providing great customer service, great client experience. So it's like, you're not going to necessarily just win today, but you're thinking about the long-term and that what that typically results in is ultimately a lower cost of acquisition because now you've built a stronger brand. So instead of just having to market as an unknown, now people know you and they come to you through a referral network or just through brand affinity, even within your community. And those tend to be the best cases, right? The best cases come by way of referral and word of mouth. And this is everyone's experience. Those are the highest average case value. They also have the highest profit margin. With the highest profit margin, you could reinvest that back into the business and you're able to now reinvest it back into your marketing and to grow and scale exponentially. So it's like, if you had to choose between the two, I think for most firms, it's probably a good to take a hybrid approach because you're going to need something today, you know, and then something tomorrow, especially if you have nothing today. But the most successful firms are much more focused on the long term than they are on the short term. And I've seen this evolution with Crisp. I mean, I'd say 90% of our investment is everything into the future. Everything is about tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. It's like, I don't have to win today. And even in the early years of Crisp, I didn't take a salary for the first several years. And even when I did, I was paying myself, you know, 25,000 bucks and 35,000 bucks. It was like nothing. And it was because I wanted to take as much money as we could to reinvest it back into the team, back into the infrastructure, back into our marketing to be able to scale it. And I think that made the journey much quicker. As a result, we were able to make a lot of great leaps because of that. So I think those are really the two things I'd look for in a leader. You know, just as a recap, they want to succeed through others, helping others succeed. So meaning that you help your team members succeed, you help your clients succeed, and your success is a byproduct of that. And then a long-term thinker in the sense that you do not have to win today and that you have that patience for the long-term success, but at the same time with the caveat of having a bias towards action in the short term as well. Absolutely. And you actually said this on a previous podcast, but really thinking about you may have a period of imbalance to finally reach balance. And it's all about the choices. I don't ever say sacrifices, but the choices that you make from the very beginning. Yeah. And if you're not willing to make those choices, I don't know what to tell you. I think whether you need to go re-examine yourself, look in the mirror, maybe change your goals. Maybe this comes back to the goals conversation. Here's the thing. You can set your own goals. You can do whatever you want. This is all a game we all play. You can choose your own targets. You don't have to build a $100 million law firm. You don't have to build a $10 million law firm, $1 million law firm. Heck, you don't have to do anything. You could go work at another law firm. Like You set your targets. You decide what excites you. And it's not a competition like the price is right of, of trying to outbid somebody else and set a bigger target just because, well, Michael said this, so I'm going to go one cent greater than that or whatever it is. It's because what's exciting to me would be different from what's exciting to you or you know anybody else. 
And it's just important that your goals are ones that excite you and are meaningful to you. And this could be different things to different people. It doesn't have to be financial related. It could be how you spend your time and who you spend your time with. It's like, at the end of the day, if you zoom out far enough, we're a speck, all of us, a speck on this earth. So when all is said and done, you decide how you spend your time and how you spend your life. And, the, and I think the most important thing is that you're engaged and excited and enjoying the people that you're, you're spending that time with. Could not agree more. So that is it for this round of AMMA. And maybe I'll come back and ask you a few more questions next time. We'll have to bring you back. All right, guys, take it easy. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with Michael Mogul. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. Download the first chapter of Michael's book at GameChangingAttorney.com. Shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, leave this podcast a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit legalpodcast.com. 